the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Lamb wins, will be our preaching focus for the next four months. This last chapter of the Bible tells us of our Lord Jesus coming again, the second advent. The first time, he came born in a small town south of Jerusalem in Bethlehem unnoticed. But the second time that Jesus comes back, that's not going to be the case. So a couple context clarifiers as we head into this, into this uh, preaching series in the next four months. Number one is this. We will read the book of Revelation out loud in our worship services. The first couple weeks, it'll just be one chapter, and at the end of the month, into February through April, a couple chapters. Why do we do that? Because it was delivered to John that way, and it's meant to be read out loud on the Lord's Day. Number two clarifier is this. The book of Revelation was given to a first century pastor for a first century churches scattered around modern day Turkey. Words that guided them and equipped them as it does disciples for us as well. Like you and me, we can glean and be equipped living in the present day in the, as influencers in a broken world. We will encounter in Revelation the influence of Babylon. But I want to encourage you that as we approach this book, you see it as a, 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 as a disciple, discipleship manual. And you say, why is that? As we read chapter 1, you'll see that verse 9 gives us a model of discipleship, of suffering, of the kingdom, and the need for endurance. In each message, we will try to share with you at least a couple things that totally relate. In fact, the last chapter of the entire book is an invitation and a warning. In other words, what we're talking about is for, cheap, is for keeps. We will live forever. The, the question is, where? Number three clarifier is this. We will not go verse by verse through each chapter. It won't be exhaustive. Rather, I want to encourage you, if you aren't a Bible bring a Bible to church person, that you start to do that. I would excuse me, encourage you to spend some money and get a good study Bible with verses and cross-references. I think you'll get more out of this series. And finally, let me say this, a thank you. A thank you to many people who spoke into this series, Preparation. I met with nearly 100 people, just shy of 100 people, from six different life groups, Bible studies, our elders, and two ministries, including our high school students. And I want to thank you for your insights and your perspectives and your feedback. Some people use the word like scared. I'm scared when I think about Revelation. Others use the words I'm frightened when I think about the future. And others use the words I'm confused. And as you can imagine, with that large of pool to draw from, there's many thoughts and ideas on where this, these messages could go and the focus of it. Now, I claim to be no expert on eschatology or prophecy, but I do try to be a student of the Word as I follow the Rabbi Jesus. So my prayer is that your heart will be encouraged as you live expectantly and find your prayer to be what 
the early church prayed, come Lord Jesus, or their word was Maranatha. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures, it's on page 1062, easy to find revelation, just go to the right, and if you get to the maps, you've gone too far. Revelation chapter 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and forever, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him and even those who pierced him. And all peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamon, to Thyatira, to Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that I was speaking to me. Was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword, his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one who was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So write, therefore, what you've seen, what is now and what will take place later, 
the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is God's word. It is true, it is powerful, it is alive. Let us pray. O oh, gracious Father, what a gift you've given to us, your church, in this book of Revelation. We pray that you would move by your Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and equip us individually to love our neighbors. Your return will come. We confess it. We confess each time that we take the body and blood of your Son. We say publicly, you will come to judge the living and the dead. It might be in our lifetime. It might be in a decade or two or three or more. It may not come when we are alive. I do pray, Lord, that you would protect our church from laziness, from comfort, from accommodation, from casualness to those who are lost without you. Oh, give us a greater burden for the lost. Father, come and do your work in our church, in our lives, individually, in my life. Amen and amen. There's a couple things I want to share with you in this opening chapter. And the first is this, as we begin this series, that the language that's used in the book of Revelation isn't to confuse you. <clears throat> Rather, it's the unveiling of real hope. The language isn't meant to confuse, but rather the language is to unveil, unveil real hope. And the key word is apocalypse. The very first word, the original word for the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, is apocalypse or apocalyptic. So what we understand about apocalyptic or prophetic apocalyptic literature is that it's unique. Apocalyptic and prophetic are parallel words, but there's a nuanced difference that's very, very important to understand. Apocalyptic literature or revelation is an emphasis in seeing something. Prophecy, the emphasis in prophecy, is to hear something. See something, hear something. Nuanced. Revelation, or apocalyptic, is God acts among his people, and we see what he does. Prophecy is God speaks to us, we hear what he says. Biblical prophets were not fortune tellers. They were not fortune tellers. But rather, they spoke for God now, and often they would speak to the future. If you heard both and, you heard correct. The Concordia Self-Study Bible said this about apocalyptic literature. Again, first word, that's used in the book of Revelation. English is revelation. Get it? The original word 
is apocalypse or apocalyptic. That's the original language in the Bible. So the Concordia Self-Study Bible gives this understanding. I thought this was really helpful. Apocalyptic literature may be defined as symbolical, visionary, prophetic, usually composed during oppressive conditions, and being chiefly eschatological, meaning telling us about the end times, in a theological content. Apocalyptic material is primarily a literature of encouragement to the people of God. Encouragement to the people of God. Now, another thing in understanding this is this. As we go into this series, numbers matter. Numbers matter. Usually when we go into the book of Revelation, we want to know the number for 666, right? Like, what does that stand for and what's that all about? But there's another key number that you need to know about, and that is the number 7. This is why having your own Bible will be really helpful. The key number is 7. 7 is used 52 times in the book of Revelation. It's the Lord's number. It's the perfect number. And when it's broken in half, as we will see later in the book, that's not good. There's something called the tribulation. And it's cued by the number seven, broken in half, three and a half, three and a half. Numbers matter. There's all kinds of sevens. You're going to see, well, we read some here, right? We read about the seven lampstands, the seven bull, seven stars. There's more sevens coming. There's bulls, there's seals, there's seven visions. Seven, seven, seven. And as you read the book of Revelation, you'll kind of go, well, there it is again, right there. Really important that it's not to confuse us, it's to unveil. Now, the other thing about unveiling is this. There's all kinds of references to the Old Testament. Someone's counted up. There's 404 verses in the book of Revelation, this last chapter, 404. But listen to this. There's 518 references to earlier scripture, like Ezekiel, Daniel, Zephaniah, Zechariah, and our friend Isaiah, including old school Exodus. There won't be specific verses, quotes like that, but there's allusions, winks, hints, and you might go, boy, that sounds a lot like in chapter 1, you'll see it in Daniel chapter 7. We're not imposing Christ into Scripture. Rather, we are discerning wisely what led to Christ. In one of the groups that I was uh, a part of and we had at our home, one friend said, you know, Pastor Kirk, it took all 65 books to make up the 66th book. And I thought, boy, that's really good took all 65 books to make up the 66th book. Now, when we look at the book of Revelation, we also have to understand this. Followers of Jesus who believe the Bible to be inspired and infallible and the Word of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, have different views in interpreting the book in different ways. Not everybody agrees with how to interpret it. 
And so as we walk through this, I hope we will be charitable with one another. The four primary uh, positions, we'll get into them a little bit later, kind of differentiating them are the pre preterist, the historist, the futurist, and the idealist. You can look them up. Now, it would be fair to say, why are there so many different viewpoints? I called my favorite seminary professor, and Dr. Gene Bow. We spent uh, about an hour and a half on the phone over Zoom, and I just asked for his insight. And he said, Kirk, you know, you're going to have to eventually uh, deal with a preposition in the very first verse. And I said, what's that? It said this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The NIV uses the word from. The ESV uses the word of. The nuance of that is this. The nuance difference, the reason why that's so important is because this. If you go the revelation of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the subject. Jesus is the subject of the entire book. That's really great because he's my best friend and I want to know him better. How about you? Right? And in your bulletin insert, you can see what the Student Life Bible does. We listed all kinds of the different names of Jesus. All of them. They're just kind of right there. Look at your bulletin right there. They're all there. This is what we teach our kids in confirmation. Hallowed be your name. God is who his names are. All the names of God the Father have a different reality of who he is. They're all true. It's not part, 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 part. It's all, 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 all. And if you say that blows my mind, great. If you go with the preposition from, like the NIV, then the focus is on the message. Of is the subject, Jesus, the Christ. If you go with from, it's the message. And what is the message of the book of Revelation? This, the Lamb wins. The Lamb wins. There it is. At the end of four months, if you say, well, how did the book of, of Revelation go? You said, if you walked out of here and said, the Lamb wins, that'd be a great takeaway. Because that's what it's all about. And we can live with that mystery, by the way. We can live with that tension as followers of Christ. We can live with that. You see the word mystery there? It's there. Be okay with that. Because the Bible says uses the word mystery. The primary focus of this kind of material, of this, of this book, is to encourage the people of God, the Lamb wins. Here's the second focus. If that, if that first word was apocalyptic, the second focus is Jesus. The focus of the book isn't to scare you. The focus of the book is to encourage you. We know how the story ends. This would be an okay book to start at the end of the book and read backwards. 
I mean, just start at 21 and start at 22 and go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, this book, this, this first chapter gives us a little bit of a hint, doesn't it? In verse 1 to 8, did you catch that? I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. The significance of Alpha and Omega, that was the, the, that's the Greek alphabet. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. O is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. The way we would translate that is this. Jesus is the A to Z and every letter in between. Jesus is the A to Z and every letter in between. So, think of a letter and think of Jesus. O. What does O have to do with Jesus? He is the overcomer. And because he's the overcomer, he said, Kirk, you are the overcomer. I don't feel like the overcomer much. Anybody can relate? Okay? Think of S. What does S stand for? S stands for Savior. S stands for the one who brings security. I think of Psalm 91. Psalm 91 was my go-to psalm. I wanted to memorize that by COVID, and I got the verse 2, and the wheels fell off. But one of my go-to verses, go-to verses. Uh, again, about Jesus, verse 18 Said Jesus said, I am the living one. I was dead and now I live. I'm alive forevermore and I hold the keys of death and Haiti. That sounds like what he said to his friend Peter in Matthew 6, 18. It says, you're Peter and I can guarantee on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. And then Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you imprison, God will imprison. Whatever you set free, God will set free. Wow. Wow, it's, it, it's not to scare you. The book of Revelation isn't to scare us. It's to encourage us. And Jesus says in verse 17 and 18, do not fear. It is the most repeated command in the Bible. Like there's 365 verses that talk about don't fear. If you got 365, you got 365 days in the year, yeah, you're making the connection. The idea, it was, an, it, it was the, if, you, if you drill down deep, the idea was to indicate a stopping of an action. No, it's not to scare us, it's to encourage us. Verse 5, verse 5, the Amplified Version says, the one who keeps on loving us. Wow. Wow. Think about it. It talks about the Son of Man. This was Jesus' preferred self-designated name. He used it over 80 times in the New Testament Gospels. That's what he called himself. He called himself the Son of Man. And it's, and it's a reference to Daniel chapter 7. Here it is. Daniel chapter 7, another apocalyptic book. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 says this, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took a seat, and his clothing was white as snow. White representing wisdom. One commentator said this. Remember, often people will say, Man, I wish I knew what I know now when I was younger. Have you ever heard that? 
Have you ever thought that? You can just blink or breathe, and most of you are going, yeah, right. One of the wonders of heaven is that it's all, we're fully alive. We're fully alive. And we have this, and, and Jesus has this wisdom. And then Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, three, uh, 13 says this, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, and he was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, and he was led into his presence, and he was given authority. Wow. Wow. Now, now just, just think about this for a minute. Just think about this for a minute. John has known Jesus for probably about 60 years as a disciple. He's on the island of Patmos, about 90 A.D. He's there because uh, Nero or Dementia, Dementia, it looks like the word dominion or dominate, rulers in Rome. Christians are being persecuted. It's probably been about 60 years since Jesus rose from the dead, spent 40 days with his disciples, and then ascended. That wonderful period of time where the Savior was alive and they interacted with him. Can you imagine how their hearts burned with excitement that their Savior was alive? But now it's probably 60 years later. In the church, the church and those who are following Christ are being thrown to the lions. They're being crucified themselves. They're being hunted down. That's the dynamic. Church history tells us, church tradition at least tells us, that when they tried to kill John, they put him in a pot of boiling oil and he wouldn't die. And then they, and then they put him on this island of Patmos all by himself. It was, it was, a, it was a slave island. He was there. And then he sees Jesus. He sees the Son of Man, right? He looks a little different from the last time he saw him. Think about John. He's the youngest of all the disciples. The Bible tells us, that, the Bible tells us this, that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. He was younger than Peter. He ran faster than Peter when the tomb was there. Peter went in. John was considered one of Jesus' garden friends. It was Peter, James, and John that went into the garden with King Jesus, right? John is so trusted that Jesus, who is dying on the cross, looks at John, looks at John and says, will you take care of my mom? I think they had a trust relationship. And John and James and Peter we're on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. And guess what? Now Jesus looks like he did at the Mount of Transfiguration. 
His eyes are like fire. The idea is he isn't just looking at them. He is looking into their hearts. His voice is like Niagara Falls. Wow. That's who he sees. That's who he sees. And it is this king. It is this king who has come again. There's some key words in the first chapter. One is apocalyptic. It helps us get, get, get a little bit of an idea of what, of what we're reading. It's this. It is about Jesus. But then this is the surprise, the one that changed the game for me. Did you catch the word blessed? The first benediction using the word bless isn't the last one. Isn't the last one. Just in chapter 1. There's seven. Numbers matter. There's seven benedictions woven throughout the letter. There's seven of them. And what, what's so interesting and the reason why I bolded some of those is because those are the ones, those are the chapters, there's some tough sledding there, some tough interpretation. It's not all rosy there. And the benediction is right there. God desires to bless those who read it. And it's woven throughout the letter. The word blessed is a fascinating word, friends. It first started in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God made them in his image, male and female, and he blessed them. The blessing was for Abraham. It, God made a covenant with Abraham that he would be a blessing to the nations, to Moses, that his people would be a blessing to the nations, to David, that his name, someone in his tribe, would always sit on the throne, a blessing to the nations. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. The very first word is, blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. The idea of blessing here is the blessing that God has and the blessing as we live our lives. Blessing is also used by King Jesus in his most famous sermon, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's right in the middle of the kingdom of Jesus, and boom, here we have it at the end. You think there's a message there? God wants to bless you and I. As we wrestle with this, as we come before, as we read it with a tender heart and say, God, open up our eyes, show me. Now there's three prerequisites prerequisites. This is in verse, two, verse 3. You can take a look at it. First, first prerequisite is this. You are blessed if you read it aloud. That's why we're going to do that. If you read it aloud, that's what the Bible says. Number two, blessing is this. If you have the ears to hear it, the ears to hear it. Well, let's face it, men, if we're married... Sometimes we listen to our spouses and they said, are you hearing me? Are you listening? And we say, yes, Pinocchio, right? When Jesus talks about 
hearing, he uses this phrase, let those who have ears, let them hear. He will also phrase, he will also say this, you have heard it said, but I say to you. In other words, Lord, let me hear the message on what you're speaking. And here's the number three. It's right there in verse three. Keep it. Keep it. The idea is to apply or obey. And so we have the manger here. We have the advent here, wreath here. And it just struck me this, this year, as I was getting this re message ready. When the wise men came to Herod, when the wise men came to Herod and were asked, where is the king of the Jews? Herod called the scholars and the priests together and that's where the cue was. They gave them the cue to go to Bethlehem. Question over here. Question. Yes, I see that hand. What's your question? Why didn't any of the scholars follow? Why didn't any of the priests go? You know, Frank, we should probably go. We should probably see if the king of the Jews is born in Bethlehem. If we love him, we'll obey him. So if this is a discipleship message, what are the practical things? How can this impact me now? First of all is this, live expectantly. Be ready. Be ready. Live in a state of expectancy, not in scared, but like Christ could come. I married a Norwegian farmer's daughter. And in October, we had a chance to say goodbye to a friend by the name of Raymond. You can't see the picture real well, but he's, his name is Raymond Strumstead. He and his wife Marvy were uh, married for 73 years. And uh, whenever we would go to Julie's parents, he would, he would always, he'd have this big, he would always have this big tie knot. It was huge. And he'd come in and he goes, well... How are they treating you there in Wisconsin? Huh? How are they treating you there? It's going good? They were at our wedding, and uh, Raymond passed away. He was the Saturday night before church. He went out to his garden at 93 years old, and he was going to get watermelons from his garden to bring to church the next day, and he had a heart attack. Well, at the funeral service, we were able to go to the funeral service in mid-October, and... Uh, and his sons made this statement. He said, Dad, banged it into our heads. Be ready. Live in expectancy. First Peter chapter, uh, Romans chapter 13, 11 through 12 agrees with what my friend Raymond said. This is all the more urgent for you to know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up! Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be there. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Wow. Yeah. How does this book impact me? Live expectantly. And number two is this. Endurance is needed. Endurance is needed. This is hard. This is a hard word, friend. 
In verse 2, the same word is used for witness and testimony. One is a noun, one is a, the first one's a verb, the second one's a noun. The English translates the same word witness and testimony. How come? First of all, witness. The idea is court is in session. We are reborn by Jesus. There is no excuse. Ultimate judgment will come and a verdict will come. But then there's a second part to the word witness and testimony. The second part comes from the root word and it's material. It means martyrs. Martyrs in this story as we will see Many will die. Many will suffer. Many will be persecuted. But the word that comes from the book of Revelation is don't give up. Hold fast. Endure. Suffering will come. Tertullian, a, a church father in the second century, famously said this, the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. Don't give up. God has not forgotten you. He hasn't. Endure. Hold fast. You'll hear those words clearly as a pastor interacts with his church in chapter 2 and 3. Finally this. Finally this. This very practical thing. First, live expectantly. We'll talk more about what does that look like in, more, in future sermons. But endurance is needed, and this one is this, fear one. Fear one. The book of Proverbs, if you're a Proverbs reader, I am. Fear one. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You will see as we walk through the book of Revelation, you will see two sides, good and evil, the dragon and the lamb, Babylon and New Jerusalem. Pick a side. It matters. The last chapter in the book of Revelation, the NIV calls it the epilogue. It's this invitation and warning. And as you read the last chapter, it goes back and forth. Invitation, warning. Invitation, warning. Invitation, warning. So how does this term strike you anytime? That's the book of Revelation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the power of your word. We thank you for this incredible book that you have given to us. We pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers, appliers of the word. Now, Spirit of God, I humbly ask that you would do the work that you do so perfectly and beautifully. Equip the church. Release us in the power of Jesus' name. Amen and amen.